Hospitals have to think about, can they be all things to all people? Do all service lines make sense? Are there the volumes associated with it? Are there the staff, you know, certain certain service lines require, um, you know, hard to get staff or expensive staff. Um, do you want to be doing something where you're not doing a huge amount of volume in this area? Hello and welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Susan Morris, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News, and I am talking with two consultants, Martin McGann and Peter Urbanowitz, and they can introduce themselves uh, much more clearly than I just did and talk about their background. But we spoke about a month ago about financial challenges for hospitals, and they deal with that on a daily basis. So to start, I'm wondering if each of you can... Talk about yourself and your background and what you do at the firm. Martin, would you like to start? Sure, I'd be happy to. And thanks for having us on. Uh, I'm Martin McGann. I co-head uh, Alvarez and Marcel's healthcare industry group with Mr. Urbanowitz here. I've been in healthcare for probably over 30 years now. First on the industry side, working my way up through uh, various positions on the finance and operations side. Uh, both for hospitals, but also outpatient provider uh, organizations, and joined A and M about seventeen and a half years ago. I uh, was one of kind of the first members of the healthcare industry group. Dealt a lot with what A and M dealt with a lot back then was just distress and uh, turnaround situations, uh, starting sometimes either in bankruptcy or also outside of bankruptcy. And we've grown our practice to really encompass all of healthcare being healthcare services, healthcare providers, uh, large hospital systems, also healthcare payers and emergency biopharma med tech. So we serve pretty much a good cross section of what we see in the US-based healthcare. We are US-based only, uh, but we are very deep and have about 260 people right now in our group at a and And Peter? Hi. I'm Peter Urbanowitz. Uh, I, I co-head the healthcare group with Martin. Um, I come from a, uh, a legal and regulatory uh, background. Uh, I've been at AM for about 15 years, but uh, have had roles in government uh, at the Department of Health and Human Services, both as Deputy General Counsel and Chief of Staff of the department. And as you know, Susan, uh, most of healthcare is either paid for or the policy directed by the federal or state government. And many of our clients are always responding to that by way of reimbursement pressure, uh, or licensure, or the way that they develop their products and business. So it's a helpful thing to add on to uh, what we do with the general business advising of healthcare organizations. Um, that's right. We had quite a discussion on that the last time. We all know hospitals are financially challenged um, between inflation, labor, supply chain, a lot of other factors. Uh, no more federal funds coming in to help them out. And you especially, Martin, you were uh, very clear in saying you don't see this trend really changing anytime soon for the first half of 2023. And I'm wondering if you can expand on that and talk about just what's happening and and uh, what you see for 2023. Yeah, it's it's interesting heading, you know, we're, we're in a unique time, I think, in, in U.S. health healthcare coming out of the pandemic, hopefully coming out of the pandemic. Uh, but all of the stresses that I think uh, that that pandemic exposed, meaning, you know, 
early on with supply chain issues and access to PPE, uh, staffing and, and getting clinical coverage in critical areas, really kind of establishing what the safety net issues were. A lot of times we, we heading into the pandemic, we had focused on getting things outside of the hospital and focusing things in a lower cost-based uh, environment. That retreated a little bit, obviously funded by the CARES Act and, and federal government. From our perspective, I think that funding has stopped. Uh, and now you're going into the post-pandemic world where you have labor rates, which are historically at an all-time high, uh, at a at a function of really what I think are 10 times higher than normal. If you think normal inflation and wage inflation was anywhere between two and three percent, we're seeing north of 20 percent right now uh, across the board. Those are labor issues that, quite honestly, are not under the control of any individual healthcare system. Uh, the supply chain issues, which has been further disrupted, uh, are continuing uh, throughout areas. I think we've kind of solved some of those, but there's still some issues to, to resolve there. You add on inflationary pressure throughout the system uh, and add on really an, an, a, a, a difficult capital situation with higher rates and higher and more difficult access to capital. Uh, I think you're heading into kind of a historically difficult part of 2023 that we're going to have to navigate. And a lot of that is is industry pressures. Uh, a lot of it's regional. Uh, but I don't see any of those particular pressures abating themselves in the near near part of 2023 and probably throughout 2023. Peter, anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, for the past two years, we've been publishing a quarterly report on the performance of the top 25 not-for-profit healthcare systems, which I think is a good barometer, and that's actually the name of our report. It's a barometer of where hospital and health systems are going. And we still have not seen, through the middle of this year, we have not seen volumes return to pre-pandemic levels. Um, the, you know, the operating, uh, uh, the, the operating results of the systems continue to decline with all of the factors that uh, that Martin pointed out with the staffing costs, the labor costs, the supply costs. Um, and that trend doesn't seem to be abating. There's always cyclical things in the hospital world. Your first quarter has always traditionally been the best uh, because of uh, flu season and um, you know other procedures going on post the holidays. But we're seeing a little bit of that. But we have, again, we just have not seen those procedures return and the volumes return to pre-pandemic, which causes me to wonder, did COVID cause some sort of change in the practice patterns with the way that people approached hospitals and the way that doctors treating patients approached, you know, acute care settings? That is a real, uh, you know, real possibility as well. And then there's a longer term trend going on here too, which is care outside of the hospital We've now had a prescription drug benefit in Medicare for 20 plus years. And I think as we were doing that, thinking that's going to be a way that gets people, if they're on their medication, staying out of hospitals, maybe seeing more the, the result of that. But the key thing is, is volumes yeah. still haven't come back. And, it's and, and the nuance too, Susan, just to take off that, I think Peter's exactly right, but subtle shifts you know, while medical admits may have returned or may have actually bumped up during COVID, surgical ads, 
admits, which are really the engine of the hospital, the financial engine of the hospital, really have it. So I think Peter's point is, is important. You can have admissions and filled beds maybe be consistent and it's not as noticeable, but the content and the mix between medical and surgical is really nuanced, but that's what drives financial outcomes within the four walls of hospital. And you're saying, I mean, it sounds like people are guessing here as to the reasons why. Is it ambulatory surgery centers taking away that sort of hospital outpatient uh, revenue? Is it a flu and RSV and people are still afraid to to venture out? Any ideas on that? I think I think it varies by region. Um, I do think that there has been a I think a, a pretty fundamental access to care issue and, and what people are looking to go into a hospital for. Um, and you're you're exactly right. I don't think anyone knows exactly, and I don't think I think it's almost too nuanced to say there's one reason or, or just one particular reason. But the reality is for surgical volumes. We haven't seen, we're talking about a pent up volume and that volume returning. It just hasn't yet for, for a variety of reasons. Um, and I think that is, we'll get to know that a little bit more over time, but that's a big issue of what's driving kind of financial performance in the sector. Okay. And both of you uh, spoke before. So the uh, answer that, and when you speak to hospital leaders is cutting expenses um, and uh, Peter, you brought up a very interesting point when we spoke about service lines and how hospitals are thought of as department stores, everything to everybody, especially the nonprofits who have this mission to fulfill, saying, well, maybe we just can't do this anymore. And I'm wondering if you can expand on that. You know, there are certain service lines that are viewed as being particularly profitable for a hospital. There are other service lines, labor and delivery, for example. If you're one of the only hospital hospital systems in town, you have to have labor and delivery. Um, but a lot of hospitals have to think about, can they be all things to all people? Do all service lines make sense? Are there the volumes associated with it? Are there the staff? You know, certain certain service lines require... Um, you know, hard to get staff or expensive staff. Um, do you want to be doing something where you're not doing a huge amount of volume in this area and having a huge associated cost with it? So I think hospitals all need to look at all of their service lines. That's what we're talking to them about and figuring out which ones make sense uh, for them, which ones can they, you know, you, you can't operate every service line or even some of the service lines at a loss when you provide all the care to the community, you do have to operate some service lines at a loss because you have to provide all services. But there are some where you have to you have to decide, is this something that we need to be in? Or, you know, is this something a, a competing hospital or a hospital in some other area can provide this service line and we shouldn't? Yeah, we've seen this. The maternity deserts are well documented. Um, with especially if you have more than one hospital belonging to the same health system in one area, deciding just to consolidate that. Have you seen that elsewhere? I mean, in your work with hospitals, where do you see what service lines are being shrunk or or just done away with altogether? You know, if you're in the in an adjacent geography where you can have a, an area where you can do all the labor and delivery at one at one yes. facility that certainly that makes sense. 
Um, right. Uh, it's it's a dissatisfier as it should be for a number of patients because you'd like something that's two miles away as opposed to seven miles away or six mm-hmm. miles away or five miles away. But um, I think I think that's uh, an area to consolidate as well too. The other is on the ED side too. Um, uh, you know, maybe each hospital, some hospitals have been looking at should they have a full fledged emergency department if they have multiple hospitals in a in a metropolitan area or should they consolidate to one or two and the others become some kind of urgent care type center only open uh you know uh monday through friday sometimes on saturdays uh with the idea that there's a limited scope of other care in that hospital where it's not going to be all things coming through the emergency room i think that's another thing they're looking for is because again emergency departments are uh, are expensive to operate yeah. Martin, anything to add to that? You know, I, I think Peter hit on it. It's providing, you know, good care, financially feasible care, but there's a trade-off. Uh, there's a trade-off with access, quite honestly, and that's a tough trade-off to have to make. Uh, you know, if you look at kidney dialysis, those patients have to go somewhere. It may make sense from a provider standpoint or a health system standpoint or even outpatient standpoint to consolidate those and and have that but patients driving an extra or traveling an extra five miles depending on what the urban concentration is depending on is it public transportation do they have their own transportation it severely impacts access so there's a trade-off of all this i think it there's no easy decisions here i wish we all could say yes do this don't do this but it's going to cause some real stress i think in the in the financial reality of providing care versus access and versus ongoing services and and how they are accessed by the community. Right. Is there any other uh, areas where you advise CEOs, CFOs that they should look at to to save on expenses? Um, In in a lot of ways, I'll say the, 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 the answers are more complex. I think you, with the industry has done, I think, a good job. There's still opportunities to take out excess spending and take out wasteful spending. Uh, we'll always take a look at that, but you know, it's going to force operators to to really be hyper focused on just operational efficiency and financial efficiency. Um, and Peter mentioned this earlier too, in in another conversation is. How do you how do you possibly operate those in in a different risk model? And that could be provider risk. How do you look to to gain access through a a non traditional payment for services and look for provider risk is another area that's actually emerging depending on where you are. Um, but that's going to be a big trend. Uh, where do you access care, access delivery models, and carve that out? But take a risk based uh, a portion of kind of the provider side. Um, but you can't, I wish I had an answer for the labor issue right now. We can't, yeah. labor, that's going to have to be something that actually kind of writes itself. Uh, we can't change that. You can look at different supply alternatives. You can look at kind of limiting access and kind of concentrating in supplies. Uh, you can look at, at quite honestly, uh, physical footprint as well, which is a huge issue right now. And, and you're really going to have to rationalize what your physical footprint is going forward and be very, very, I think 
short-term and long-term minded and how you actually position your hospital. But all of those areas, there's no real, hey, you go right here and this is where all the money is. It's, it's what's going on in your community. How do you position yourself for those cost cuts, but also position yourself for providing ongoing services beyond 2023 and beyond? The, those are the balancing acts. Those are the, then they're tough. They're tricky and they're tough. Um, yeah. But that's what we're talking to our clients about every single day. Wow. And Peter, I know you having worked in federal government, how does how does CMS and HHS play into this? I know uh, providers are saying you're not giving us enough money for outpatient uh, rates and physicians are saying you're cutting our rates. And uh, do you see that changing or anything happening on that end? I think the uh, the the rate situation with CMS is, uh, you know, I don't know that it's going to abate. There obviously, you know, we've been in a period where there's been a tremendous amount of spending through the CARES Act, through COVID. Um, they're always looking at uh, rates, whether it's hospital, whether it's physician. Um, and I don't know that there's an appetite for raising rates, maybe some specialty areas. If you're thinking about rural hospitals, they're concerned about that, mm. critical access hospitals. But I don't think in this budgetary environment, changeover in Congress right now, I don't see a path towards higher reimbursement uh, under Medicare uh, at this point. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you both. Any final comments on what you see for 2023 that maybe uh, we haven't talked about yet? No, I, I, you, you asked us, and I think when our earlier conversation, uh, immediately what you do, I, I honestly think that a lot of the approach from a hospital administration and also from a hospital finance standpoint is reimagining, looking at how we're going to invest. We talked a lot about capital budgets. I think if a hospital's capital budget is, is, is rolled over from one year to the next year, you really have to take a hard look at that and think about kind of the capital spending in this new environment, especially for the near term and short term. Uh, and the other piece of this is understand really what you can control and understand what the headwinds in the industry are. Um, I love to say we can control your, your question about Medicare spending is right on, but sometimes that that comes to you. You can lobby, you can try to change it, but that is going to happen. I don't know if that's a whole high level of control. Focus on what you can control. Uh, prioritize that and be incredibly diligent about it is kind of my approach and our advice to clients. Good good thoughts there. Peter, any closing comments? This is this is a uh it's a lot there are long-term issues out there. There were issues that predated COVID um that hospitals were dealing with. Things that Martin said with terms of footprint of uh, their facilities, uh, you know, overall cost structure, you know, changing sites where people are going for care outside of, an, you know, a large hospital setting, ambulatory care, care at home. You know, COVID highlighted a number of these issues, but a lot of these trends were longer in the making even prior to the pandemic. Okay. Thank you both, Martin and Peter. It's been a pleasure having you on Cast. If you would like to read um, the story about uh, from our conversation that took place in, earlier 
In November, you can look at health systems need to balance their service offerings against dwindling financial resources and healthcare finance news. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure, and I wish you both the best in 2023. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thank you.